When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is July 17th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS. Ah, it's been a little layoff here as we kind of get into the summer lull. Uh, the last Bruins Beat we did, I think, was uh, just after free agency there, where the, the Bruins brought in a couple guys, namely a, a left-shot defenseman uh, in John Moore, which kind of gives them a log jam on that blue line. We'll get to that in a little. But first, I want to welcome on here on the Bruins Beat on CLNS. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy, and I want to welcome on a good friend of mine, a former colleague, and you can now find all his work over at The Athletic as he covers the Bruins in the NHL for The Athletic. That's Joe McDonald. Joey Mack, how you doing, buddy? Fantastic, Murph. What's going on? Uh, not much, my friend, but it looks like a lot been going on for you. We were just speaking off air. You uh over in the uh, the motherland there, over in Ireland, uh, with your family, it looks like you had a great time, eh? Yeah, it was a great time. It was uh, it was the eighth time that I've been over, but it was the first time that I took a family, and and it was just an unbelievable vacation. And you know, I the weather was perfect, not a drop of rain, and I really don't think uh, we're gonna have another vacation in our lifetime that's gonna match this. It was just everything went according to plan, and the family had a great time, and it was. Uh, it was awesome, and if you haven't been over, I highly recommend it because just the people are great. Uh, you know, the food's awesome. Obviously, the pubs are great too, and it's just it was it was awesome. It was good. It was good to get away, good to get away from the grind a little bit. You know, and just yep. shut it down and and not pay attention. And when I say I was off the grid, I was off the grid. Like I wasn't paying attention to Twitter. I wasn't you know reading anything. It was you know needed from a family standpoint, and it was uh, it worked out very well. Well, you, you gotta you gotta give me advice or therapy on how to do that. Uh, how to get away from Twitter and and stay off the grid? Because I sometimes I say I'm gonna do it and then I never do. Um, but as we know, Joe, I mean, you know, people look at us sometimes at the end of the Stanley Cup final, like, oh, well, you know, hockey season's done. What are you gonna do now? You get a nice break. I look at them, they go, you nuts! It's just starting. This is yeah. gonna get crazy again. And of course, it was. And you know, we had the the draft and some crazy stuff went down there. And then of course, free agent, free agency hit. And, you know, I, I think to the surprise of many, but maybe not Joe to the surprise of us. Cause we, we follow this team so closely and um, we've seen the job and look, I'll, I'll give credit where it's due and admit when I'm wrong. Uh, we've seen the, the great job that Don Sweeney has done uh, since taking over for Peter Chiarelli three seasons ago. And, uh, the Bruins were invited to the table uh, for John Tavares. And while I know 
you know, a lot of people are knocking the process and saying, you know, look, look at the tweet put out after he signed with the Leafs with him in his pajamas and everything. And he always wanted to go there. And it was, it was set from the beginning. I get where they're coming from, but I still think it says something, even though he didn't sign in Boston. And I think it says something for every club that was at that table uh, that they were invited. And I think that's a good sign for the Bruins going forward in terms of being a free agent destination or even a, a destination for a player that could be uh, asked to waive a no trade clause and asked to go there in a trade, which could very well happen still in this off season. What's your take on that whole situation? Well, I think there's, there's two answers to this Murph. And, and one is <clears throat> I think from the very beginning, I think he knew in his heart of hearts that he was going to sign with, with the Maple Leafs and, yeah. And you can even go back a few seasons when uh, it was talked about whether it was going to be, you know, Steven Stamkos, was he the one who was going to go home and play for the hometown team and could he do it? Uh, but during that conversation, it was, look, out of those two players, it's probably going to be a guy like John Tavares who can, who can go back and, and play for that team. So I think he probably always thought that. But to answer your question, Look, at the end of the day, these guys want to accomplish one thing and one thing only. They don't care where it is. They want to win a Stanley Cup because they know that it's such a small window in order to win. Um, Everything has to go right. You have to have the right players, the right team, the chemistry. You have to have a boatload of luck, as we've seen in the past, Mm -hmm. uh, to win a Stanley Cup. And I think when he looked at the landscape and saw the teams that have the potential to do that in the coming seasons, you know, Boston was one. Um, But I also think a huge factor in that was Patrice Bergeron. Uh, Tavares and Bergeron obviously have played together for Team Canada. And, you know, everybody in the game, you know, respects Bergeron for what he does on and off the ice. So I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, Bergie having that conversation with, with Tavares and saying, um, look, let's, you know, come on in. Let's, you know, sit down and see what Don Sweeney and Cam Neely and Bruce Cassidy, you know, they have to say about what it's going to be like to play in Boston. And, and I'm sure they put a huge campaign, a huge pitch uh, to try to woo him here. And, but I think it's those two factors. One, Boston's ability to – to be a Stanley cup contender in the next few seasons and, you know, the opportunity to, to play with Patrice Bergeron. So I think those are probably the, the two main factors that got him, uh, or I should say had the Bruins got him to the table to negotiate, but not surprised. He ended up in Toronto. Uh, it's going to be a good spot. That's going to be a good team for, you know, for a long time now. Um, and they're not too far off from winning the Stanley cup as well. So, uh, you know that the Bruins and the Maple Leafs are probably going to be playing each other in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs now for the next couple seasons, which is going to be great for, for hockey and, and fans in both cities. And, you know, fortunately for the Maple Leafs, number 91's playing in Toronto for his hometown. And, you know, you know the Bruins fans are going to want to uh, make sure that the Bruins really, you know, get the best of the Maple Leafs when they play him. So I'm not surprised that, you know, he came in and he sat down with the Bruins, but, um, you know, if I had to put money on it before all of this started, then, you know, I would have said that he would have ended up in Toronto. I'm with you there. And, you know, but again, I, I circle back. I, I just, you know, 
and I know that he has, people are going to use the word struck out on, on the big fish, you know, for a couple off seasons now, whether it be via trade, you know, it, it was well documented that Sweeney coveted Noah Hannafin. I mean, we go back to that 2015 draft when he was drafted and the Bruins trying to move up there. And instead they end up with, you know, back to back to back picks in the middle of the first round. I'm sure Sweeney would have preferred Hannafin there, but on the flip side, I, I still think, you know, and, and usually, you know me, Joe, I, I'm an old school Irish negative guy and I'm, I'm going to look at the negative side first, but I don't know. I can't ignore the positive going on with the Bruins right now. I've just, I've been impressed with Sweeney's ability to replenish the system and at the same time convert the Bruins back into contenders again. And I didn't see that happening. I, I thought when he took over, I really thought we were going to be in for not really a rebuild, but I thought they were going to be in for sort of a uh, sort of a replay of when you and I were growing up watching the Bruins, you know, and, and maybe more, more so our college years, uh, where they were just mediocre. And they were always just good enough to, to make the playoffs. And the biggest thing to them was to keep that playoff streak alive and to get that extra money at the gate. And it didn't really matter how far they went in the playoffs. And so I was afraid that that's what was happening there and that that's what they were gearing towards. Um, and instead, he somehow has built up a, a prospect system that now positions him well for, for trades, but also for the play on the ice as we've seen some of these young guys come in. And I, I just want to get your take on that. Maybe if you think back to when he was hired, uh, what did you see? is the future of the Don Sweeney-led Bruins, and how has it sort of matched up since it happened? Well, the, the first thing, Murph, that really jumps out is, and you mentioned it, is the organizational depth. Um, you know, we've been, both, we've been covering this team for a long, long time, and, you know, in the 20 years that I've been covering this team, I don't ever remember the depth being like this. Um, and it, it's funny too, because now that they have all this depth, which you need in order to be a perennial Stanley cup contender. And we've seen that throughout the, the league, but it's funny that, you know, some will say, Oh, well, well, uh, you know, you got to get rid. Now you can get rid of this guy. Now you can trade this guy. Now you can get rid of this guy. It's like, well, no, you got to sit back and relax here folks, because <laughs> Part of the reason you have a team has success is it can rely on its depth throughout the season. Injuries yeah. are going to happen to key players, and we saw that last year. Oh, yeah. That guys were able to, whether it was the rookie class, who all, in my mind, played extremely well in, in their respective first years in the league, first full years in the league, I should say, or even if it was guys called up from Providence, you know, to fit in, you know, from time to time. Uh, and that was one of the main reasons why the Bruins had so much success during the regular season last year. Uh, and you're right. Um, you have to give Don Sweeney a lot of credit. And that draft, I was in Florida for that draft, and, you know, we kind of understood what he was trying trying to do. Mm -hmm. And I remember being down there the last day of the draft, and I grabbed probably almost all of the GMs or at least some of the assistant GMs walking out of that building that day, trying to get their take on what the Bruins did. And ev almost every single one of them just shaking their head saying, we have no idea what he's doing. Like we're, yeah. we're trying to figure out what he's trying to accomplish here. And uh, to his credit, you know, he, he 
held true to his to his word and said, look, you know, we have that proverbial five-year plan in place. And, you know, we've told ownership that, you know, you, you have to remain patient because this is going to work. And to his credit, it has. Um, and again, there is some luck that, that comes along with that because mm-hmm. the draft is not a perfect science, um, but <clears throat> it's worked out. And last season, and I hate using this term, but it's true. And, and Sweeney and Kim Neely and ownership admitted as much was, you know, it was supposed to be a bridge year last season. Um, and it turned out to be a lot more than that. And now they're going into the 18-19 season with, you know, higher expectations because of the success of the individuals and the team as a whole last year. And, you know, this season, you know, fans should be really excited about this season. You know, the off season. Uh, you know, was, did he make a big splash? No, but he added more depth. Uh, and, I mean, I know, I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but you know, a guy like John Moore, he comes in, it's that left-handed defenseman that they've been looking for. Um, it gives maybe a guy like Bakkenainen who is go- going to be, or sh- is slated to be that next left-handed defenseman, top pairing guy, gives him time to develop in Providence a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have to, you know, give Don Sweeney a stick tap for, for what he's done the last few years. And, it, and even like getting, you know, Halak in, into the mix now. Uh, I mean, a lot of fans that doesn't jump, jump off the page at you or doesn't wow you a lot, but that's going to do a lot for, you know, Tuka Rask. I mean, that's going to push him even more than Anton Hudobin did last season. So um, he's pushed all the right buttons. Bruce Cassidy, you have to give him a lot of credit because he's getting the most out of everybody on the ice. Mm. Uh, so, you know, Bruins fans should be should be impressed with what upper management, coaching staff, the players have done the last, you know, couple of years and what it looks like going forward. Yeah, and, and good point there. We cannot forget the job that Bruce Cassidy has done since taking over for Claude Julian. Uh, it's been unreal what he's done there. Um, you know, you bring up uh, quickly before we get into the defense – you brought up Halak there. Georges can't clear. Carlson across the corner. Final second with his catch power play. Carlson with time. John Carlson shoots. Halak safe. Rebound. Lucy plays it. Sends it on goal. Halak makes the stop again. Yaroslav Halak. Unbelievable. And you look at Halak's body of work. Look, I don't think you can read too much into his stats for the last few years because I've seen Pee Wee. The Islanders. Yeah, I, I see PP hockey teams with a better defense than the Islanders, okay? So, you know, I, I, I don't think it's fair to really judge him on that. But if you watch him closely and, you know, was it last – no, it was two seasons ago, Joe. Remember at the end of the year they, they sent him down. They actually – I think they might have waived him. And he went down to Bridgeport. And he went on something like a 17-game win streak. And I remember seeing yeah. him play during that streak. and. That's always been one of these things about Halak, right, is that he's very, very streaky. We can go all the way back to 2010 when he went on that run in the playoffs and took the Habs to the conference final before losing to the Flyers. He knocked off the Capitals and the, the Penguins almost single-handedly. Um, this guy can get hot. And I, I, I like that in a backup. I don't necessarily like it in a starter because you don't want your starter to have those bad streaks as well. But if you can harness that, that hot streak with your backup, you might be in good shape. And it, it, this guy's been a starter. He, he's got starter experience. So he knows his role coming in. 
And while I think Anton Hudobin, look, there's no knock on Hudobin. He had a great year last year, and he definitely helped spell uh, Rast some relief there and gave him the rest he needed. But I think Halak can do that even more so. But I also think, and this is going to be an interesting topic, and there's always controversy around Rast. There's a lot of this city, whether it be some fans or some media, for some reason, he's like the Rodney Dangerfield. We know that, Joey. I mean, he just can't get respect <laughs> to some people, right? Why can't I get any respect? That's Tuka Rask. And I, I foresee some situations where, you know, if Rask goes into a slump and Halak comes in, I don't think it's necessarily going to be the same as Hudobin just coming in and taking over for a few games while Rask collects his thoughts. I, I think, you know, if, if he proves himself early on that – they might have the faith in him to let it go more than a few games. And you could see a 1A and 1B, uh, you know, formula, like formalize here. Like you could see that develop here in Boston. Your take on that, and is that something you think was in the back of the Bruins' head where they said, look, if there ever reaches a situation, we really need him to take over. Uh, we think this could be a guy that does that. No question. And, you know, honestly, Rask hasn't had – you know, legit competition uh, since he was a partner with Tim Thomas. Yeah. Um, And the thing about Hudobin was it goes back, you know, the beginning of last season when the Bruins thought they would get Malcolm Subban through waivers, um, get him to Providence, and then eventually, because they thought he was ready, and he obviously proved that when Vegas picked him up off waivers and he went out there and, and he did fantastic as a backup for Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, but I think, you know, if you could go back and, and Subban wasn't picked up, I think he probably could have been the guy uh, over Hudobin maybe at some point during the season. But getting back to Halak, you mentioned that he's the type of goalie, and almost true number one, and he is, uh, which means he's going to be one hell of a backup. He can even go back to the World Cup of Hockey in 2016, and I wrote about this the other day, was he was a goalie, starting goalie for Team Europe. And Team Europe was a team that no one That's thought right. yeah. was going to do well right in a best-on-best tournament. Uh-huh. And Halak got on a big-time role, played fantastic, and took Team Europe to the finals against Canada. Now, obviously, Canada obviously has the best team in the world, and they obviously won that, that tournament. But Halak, I mean, he stood on his head that tournament, and he played very well. And that's another example of what you're talking about. And the thing here with, with, with Tuca is that, you know, the big subject or the, the big, you know, controversy, you know, for lack of a better term, last season when Hudobin went out and he won four straight, and, you know, that's – probably saved the Bruins season. It certainly turned that season around when he went on that, you know, that four game winning streak back in November when Tuca was struggling to stop the year. Um, But you look at that and you have to say, all right, was Dobin the type of goalie that could sustain that type of success over a longer period of time without, you know, emptying the tank. Mm -hmm. And they didn't, they didn't think that, that was possible. Um, so, you know, they, they saw what they wanted to see in Tuca during practices and, and that getting extra ice time, you know, before practice. So he went back and then he went on his run and it worked out perfectly. 
But you're right. Halak is a type of guy that if he goes in and he wins four straight, guess what? He's getting a start in game five. And yep. then he's going to get to start in game six. Yep. And it's going to keep going. And that is huge for the Bruins. And it's huge for Tuca because you see what type of success Tuca can have when he is set to a certain amount of games and they stick to that. This year it was, what, 56? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was well below what he had done the last the two previous seasons. So, uh, I think this is this was a huge addition for the Bruins for everything that we're talking about. And you're right, it, this is going to be a one A, you know, one B situation, and it's going to create that internal competition that's only going to drive Tuca. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out to start the year. And the other thing is, we're speaking here, Joe, and I didn't even think of this before. You might agree with me too. Is this, this kind of gives the Bruins a little more time to figure out the goaltending situation below the NHL to develop the guys yep. they already have in Providence. Whereas, say Udobin leaves and they're not able to get Halak, you're maybe looking at McIntyre as a backup. And, I, I mean, I think we can agree. I don't, this is nothing against McIntyre. I don't think he's ready for that yet. And, and you don't want to rush that. And then and that has a, that has a you know, a trickle-down effect as you go down through the system. So, this gives them more time, whether they can do it through signings, drafting next year, who knows what, to build up that, that goaltending situation in, in their system. Because I think if you look at it, that's really the only position, and obviously it's an important one, but that's the only position where Sweeney hasn't succeeded in building that depth that we referenced before. Well, the one thing with that, I think you're right, when you look at the overall depth, it's not like they're going to look down in the minors and say, okay, we've got two or three guys that we can see developing. And, and McIntyre has, you know, has done what he's done in, in Providence. But I got to tell you, I think Daniel Vladar is that guy of the future. Um, yeah. The little I've seen of him, uh, I've talked to him on a few occasions. I've talked to other people outside the organization about him. And I think this kid is, is going to be legit. I mean, he's a big body. Uh, he's got the, a great personality. He's a smart kid. Uh, he works his butt off. He's going to be in Providence next season. Uh, he'll probably be. I know. I know they try to you know split as much time down there to, to develop an NHL type goalie. But I think you know Vladar's probably going to get the majority of the games. Um, and I think he he could be uh, you know the answer after Tugarask and after Halak. Um, I'd really like what I've seen from this kid. And, um, you know, can you count on one guy? Like, no, that's why you need depth in the organization at all positions. But I think Flatar is going to surprise a lot of people. I think he's going to be a really good goaltender. and It wouldn't surprise me one bit if he's the future between the pipes for the Boston Bruins after, you know, Rask is, is off and running. I hear you. Well, let's get to the people right in front of those goalies we're talking about right now, and that's the Bruins blue line. And I think, Joe, is it, you know, it may be dying down a bit right now. It may be quiet. But as training camp approaches, I, this is going to be – and I hope – you know, I, I don't think it will be, but it could be. I hope it doesn't become a distraction because this is going to be the most talked-about topic with the Boston Bruins as, as training camp and the regular season approaches is what happens – with the Bruins defense, specifically on the left side, where let's face it right now, in terms of what they have at the NHL level and what they have coming, there's a logjam and someone's got to go. And it's, you know, 
Bruins fans, sometimes they'll read our stuff and they'll see our tweets and they think we're knocking a player when we're saying, well, this guy might likely have to go. It's not that. We're just looking at the salary cap right now. And, and obviously the guy that keeps coming up is Tory Krug. And you look at what he's making per year right now. It, it's a very reasonable cap hit for what he's brought in terms of production. But you look at what he want, will want when that cap is up, when that cap hit is up and he needs, he needs a new contract in two years. That's what I think we're trying to get across is the Bruins can't keep all them and they can't, they can't infuse all that young talent at the same time and give Tory Krug, you know, maybe six, 6.5 million a year, maybe even seven if he, if he continues with the production he's having. So what do you think is going to happen with this Bruins defense? And do you see Tory Krug in the lineup? by the time the season starts? You know what, Murph? It's a, it's a great question, and I've thought about it. You know, back on vacation, I'm looking at all this stuff and, and going over it and trying to come up with, you know, what my defensive pairings would be to stop the year. And, and the other thing, too, is, is he going to be healthy? That's uh, a great he, question, you know, too. He, he had the – right, you know, he had the injury, and, and uh, you know, I, I – He's off to crutches and he's out of the boot, I believe, and he's been working out up at Warrior. So uh, there's one thing about Tory Krug is that he works he works his butt off on and off the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a leader in that room. So to answer your question, I yeah, I think he is going to be in the lineup, um, and it gets back to the question of depth in the organization and what I had said earlier about now that they finally have depth. They create that internal competition in Boston and also in Providence. And it's going to drive these younger guys, you know, to play because they know if they do their job and they deserve an opportunity to play, Bruce Cassidy is going to give them that opportunity. We saw that last year. Now with Krug, given the fact, especially when, you know, they, they signed a guy like John Moore and you said, you know, there's a lock jam. Okay. Well, who's the odd man out to stop the season? And at this point, it's too early to, to even speculate what that's going to be because, one, will Krug be ready to start the season? Okay, two, guys always get hurt during training camp. It happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a healthy situation to have right now, having that log jam. Um, and I really wouldn't even begin to venture a guess as to what Don Sweeney is thinking as far, or Bruce Cassidy, too, is, is thinking on, on the blue line. But I don't think Tory Cruz is going anywhere right now. Um, you know, for what he can do on the power play, and I know people are like, well, you got Matt Grizzlick, and Matt Grizzlick can do the same thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Grizzlick had an unbelievable season last year. You know, absolutely unbelievable season. And I had said this numerous times, uh, objectively as well, is – he is so much fun to watch. I mean, the yep. things that he does, uh, it's just for a, a smaller type smaller type guy, it, he's so much fun to watch. And just when you think, you know, well, the league's going to catch up with him, just as it did, he made some adjustments and boom, you know, he, he was back to playing and, and making an impact. Um, so, yes, so he has an ability, especially on the power play, to do what Krug does. But there are so many different um, variables to this that you just can't say, oh, well, we've got this, uh, this death now on the, on the blue line. So, you know, Krug, we can get rid of him. 
I don't think that's what Don Sweeney and Bruce Cassidy and upper management, I don't think that's what they're thinking. So I, to answer your question, Murphy, it was kind of a long-winded answer, but <laughs> to answer your question, I, I think that once the season starts, I think Tory Krug is still in the mix. Um, how much ice time he gets obviously depends on his health uh, to stop the season, but all indications at this point is he's on track to, to be ready, but still you never know. Um, and then, you know, then if he does play, then what do you do with, you know, guys like Adam McQuaid, Kevin Miller, who, you know, again, well-respected in the room and, and did their jobs to the best of their ability last season. Um, so it, I, it's going to be interesting. It really is. Um, but these things always have a way of working themselves out. Right. I mean, we see yeah. it all the time. So yeah. yeah, who knows? I mean, but it, it's going to be, it's going to be certainly talked about a lot come September, October. Well, look, I, look, I agree with you at this point. I think you're right. I think we're going to see him back here in training camp and even into the season. And I don't think it's a matter, you know, I apologize if I presented it wrong. I don't think it's a matter. Like I'm trying to say to some fans who come at me on Twitter, I don't think it's, the Bruins saying, oh, now we want to trade Tory. I don't think they want to at all. I, I think they'd, they'd love, if all things considered, I think they'd love to do that. And you mentioned, you know, McQuaid and Miller there. And again, this isn't a knock on Adam McQuaid because, I, first of all, I, I think in, a, in a, all the time I've covered the Bruins, I'm going on 17 years now, maybe even 18. I'm losing count. But I think he's one of the classiest guys, one of the best team guys, and one of the toughest SOBs I've ever met. Uh, you know, in during covering this team, but he might be a guy that you could see because he's a reasonable cap hit. I think contenders could use a guy like him, and as you can never have too much defense, right? However, I think if you look at Krug right now, it's not a matter like I'm saying want to trade him, but let's just say, and we know this isn't the situation, but if it was the situation where we know the Bruins are still looking for a top six winger. To, to fill in on the second line there with Krejci. We know they love a good scorer. We've heard their, their name being linked to Artemi Panarin in Columbus or Jeff Skinner in Carolina, what have you. Let's say, you know, as of now, I, I don't see Columbus needing D. Their D looks pretty solid to me. But let's say Carolina says, you know what? We would do a deal for Skinner with Krug as the centerpiece coming back. Do the Bruins do that to balance out their team overall? Or do they say, you know what, we like the depth we have, and they go back to what I just said. And I, I, I think it's, it's an adage, you know, we've heard – I see some columns you've done with Scotty Bowman, and he's a, he's a big proponent of this. You can never have too much defense, especially when the playoffs roll around. You mentioned injuries before. If you're Don Sweeney and you have a, a, a trade presented to you to get that top six winger and Krug has to be the other part going out, do you do it? Nope. Nope. Don't do it. You don't do it. You know, no, I, I don't do it. I think, you know, Don Sweeney at this point, Stan Pat, uh, he's shown that ability in the past to not, you know, that knee jerk reaction. Okay. Well, you know, there's pressure from fans or there's pressure from whoever that we're going to go out and we're going to get this guy. They've created this depth in the organization for a reason. And there are guys, whether it's, uh, Look, David Krejci is probably not maybe not the easiest guy to play with. I mean, maybe it's he likes having that that big, strong, tough power forward on his wing. Uh, we know at this point that Jake DeBrusque isn't going anywhere. I had a discussion with Bruce Cassidy about I don't know a month ago, and yeah. asked him if about, he was going somewhere. Uh, he'd be David, gone. 
already. Right. Exactly. You know, so yeah. And I, I mean, not going anywhere as far as like, he's not moving from that left side on the second line. Like he's going to be with, with David Krejci. So it's a matter of finding who's going to play in the right. Um, is that going to be, I mean, do we know what's going on with, with Rick Nash? I mean, is it going to be, could David Backus go up and play there? Do you drop David Poshnock down and then find somebody else to play with, with Bergeron? These are the things that Bruce Cassidy has already started to think of. And to say that the Bruins absolutely need to go out and find a winger to play with David Krejci right now, I don't think that is a main priority for Don Sweeney because they've created this depth. And, you know, there's a guy like, uh, uh, oh, man, uh, huge brain freeze right now, Solar, Peter Solar. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, he's a guy that in a little bit of time that he played with Krejci when he was up last season, you know, he played pretty well. And David Krejci said, I like playing with this guy. Um, is, is he a guy that could be considered a, a top six forward? Many people probably would say at this point, no. But we've seen with these players in the organization, when given the chance to succeed or put in a position to succeed, they have. And I think that's what Don Sweeney is all about. The one thing that people keep forgetting is that before Don Sweeney was the GM, when he was the assistant GM and the GM of the Pete Bruins, he put in a ton of time to, to reconfigure, redevelop, uh, replenish the depth in this organization. And I can't stress this enough, and I know I keep saying it, but they finally, he's done it. Now, why all of a sudden is he going to start getting pieces and throwing them out for a veteran guy who's been in the league? Obviously, Skinner's a great player. But if he thinks he has a similar player in the organization that financially works out, then that's how teams win the Stanley Cup. We've, the Penguins did it back-to-back seasons. It was a good mix of core guys, similar that the Bruins have, and then they brought up all these young kids from the American League. And it worked, and they had the goaltending to support it. That's what the Bruins are trying to do. That's well, what the rest of the league is trying to do right now. So to answer your question, Murph, no, I don't think that because all of a sudden they have these, they have the depth that they can say, okay, well, you know what, we're going to go out and we're going to get a guy like Skinner or we're going to get Panarin to sign here instead of Columbus. Um, so this is what we're going to do. Uh, I don't think they, they don't need to do that at this point. Uh, they have options. They have a ton of options in-house. And I think that's where they have to stay. And I think that's what Don Sweeney is going to do. Yeah, you know what? I agree with everything you're saying right now. And I think you absolutely, I think that's what he's going to do right now. The only way, and you bring up the Penguins there, and I think that's a great example. They have done an amazing job of incorporating those prospects they have in that system. And uh, credit to our buddy, Tommy Fitzgerald, who helped put a lot of those guys in there, uh, who's now with New Jersey. But, you know, let's not forget, though, Joe, they were able to get, Phil Kessel for pretty much nickels and dimes on the dollar. And that did help those cup runs. If, if Sweeney could somehow do get Artemi Panarin for an equivalent of what they got Phil Kessel for, then I think you'd do it. But until then, yeah, until then, look, my way I look at it right now is if you have a chance to get a guy at Panarin and it's not going to alter the big picture, so to speak, 
as, as Kessel's deal didn't alter the big picture, so to speak, in Pittsburgh, then you do it. But the other thing that I think, and this, this, this kind of circles back to the way we began this podcast, Joe, is Sweeney's proven that he can get to the table with a big-name free agent now. He's shown that, and that other free agents and their agents have seen that. So why in God's name are you going to give up a top guy like a Jake DeBrusque right now or even say a Tory Krug? I mean, I know that's not what Columbus wants, but even say a Tory Krug when a year from now, I mean, by all accounts, I'm just reading as we speak right now, there was just another story with Panarin's agent coming out saying, at this point, we're going to free agency next year. And so yep. if, if Sweeney looks at that and says, well, then why the hell am I going to make a deal right now and, and risk altering the chemistry I have or risk altering the progress <laughs> I have throughout my system when I can sit down at the table with this guy next year and, and deal with it then and not have to give anything up except money? And it, you, just, you, just made, you just made my point. Yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly why. And with Panarin, we know – that he wants a long-term deal. He wants yeah. seven or and eight years. I don't years. think he's signing an extension um, anywhere, Joe. I mean, I think you'd agree with me. The, the way the agents are right now, he's making it pretty clear. Hey, we earned this. We're going to test the market just like Tavares did. Yep, yep. And I know that um, I believe they're actually, uh, as we're taping this, they're sitting down with the Blue Jackets today. Uh, as You know, this is Monday, yeah. so – um, they're sitting down with them today to discuss the future. And if the Blue Jackets say, look, you know, we'll give you three years, and they're going to say no, because as you mentioned, Panarin's agent has said that, you know, we're going to see what the best fit for, you know, my client is when the free agent market hits. And at that point, maybe that's when Don Sweeney says, okay, well, hey, this is, this is a situation that we can look at. But currently going into the 2018-19 season, I don't think he has to do that. Yes, are they, has Sweeney positioned the Bruins to a point where now big-time free agents will come in and sit down and see what they have to say? Yeah, he has, and we've seen that. Yep. But going into this season, I think it's kind of going to be status quo because he's put so much time and effort into building what he has right now. He's just not going to stop chipping away and, and getting rid of it. Um, no, it. You know, you had mentioned, you had mentioned Kessel. The, re- the reason why the Kessel thing worked so well in Pittsburgh was because he was on the third line. Yeah. And, and, you know, when they got to the finals and they played, you know, the Sharks, it was, okay, the Sharks could, could deal with or try to anyway, the Crosby line. And then, all right, <clears throat> well, we have a matchup for, uh, for Malkin, no. all right, yeah. well, oh, damn, now what are you going to do with the HBK line? Like, we can't. And that's why that situation worked as well as it did. So exactly. the Bruins have enough options, like I said, going into the season where they don't have to go out and they don't have to make that huge splash. Uh, the reason why Sweeney went out and traded for Rick Nash was because he thought, as the rest of the organization did, as its fans did, that the Bruins had an outstanding opportunity to go deep into the playoffs and potentially win the Stanley Cup. And I think for everybody who, you know, rode Rick Nash, I think if he doesn't suffer that concussion, we could, it could have had a different outcome. The and Bruins and could also have Brandon Carlson doesn't get hurt. Exactly. You know? Exactly. You know, so it's, 
I mean, it's those situations that, you know, you need the luck, right? And unfortunately they didn't, they didn't have that. Um, But anyway, going into the season, I think Sweeney and the Bruins stand pat. They go at it with what they have in the organization and they go from there. They start deciding around December, January. Okay. Where are we positioned in the standings? What do we need to do to improve the team, to give the team its best possible possible chance for a deep run um, or do they stand pat and then wait for free agency next July one? Uh, he, he has options and he's positioned the Bruins in a way that they're in a good, they're in a good spot. And I don't think he's going to go out and try to do something crazy here. And by the way, just circling back to the more signing there too, that's a signing that for some, you know, I know he's not a popular household <clears> name, <throat> but for those that watch the game and those that work in the, this this guy's good, and and do I agree with the term that much? Nah, I, I, I you know, that's how it is these days. I would have hoped to come in more at three years or something like that. But um, I think that's a great signing. And if, if they like, I just mentioned Carlo. If they had a guy like Moore in the playoffs on that defense, especially when Krug goes down, maybe they don't lose to Tampa. I don't know. But all I'm saying is, it goes back to what we said. It goes to what Scotty Bowman always says. You can never have too much D. And clearly, that's what Sweeney is looking at right now. Yes, he wants to bring that score in. Yes, he wants to maybe find it internally, or eventually maybe he looks outside. And he tried to do that with Nash. It didn't work out because of concussions. But I love the fact that he's thinking like us, where, you know, you go from the goalie out. You go right up the middle, right? And that's if you look at all the cup champs, that's how they're built. Yep. And so I think he's had a good offseason. Look, Joe, before I let you go, too, we – we started off talking about, uh, you know, your trip to Ireland there. And uh, this past week, uh, the NHL released their, uh, their emblem for the, uh, the Winter Classic coming up at Notre Dame. Oh, my God. This is going to be a trip we're going to remember. I know you and I, we had a great time over in Prague, but you know how big a Notre Dame fan I am. And, uh, I'm looking real forward to this one, Joe. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be such a good time out there in South Bend. I've never been there. I don't know if you have, but uh, no, I haven't be been. Easy. I'm looking forward to it. And, and like you said, that uh, that logo is is awesome. Whoever came up with that is is a pretty smart, you know, marketing person. Only because you've got Chicago, you got Boston, and you've got a shamrock with ice on it, and it's it's awesome. It's going to be, yeah, you know, I. There are people out there that say, you know, the outdoor game is, you know, it's kind of run its course. And I think, you know, those people who are against it are completely wrong. I think it's a, it's a marquee event for the NHL. Fans love it. I've been, I've covered a bunch of them now. I think they're fantastic. Yep. And this one on January 1 in South Bend at Notre Dame between the Blackhawks and the Bruins is going to be outstanding. And I think all we're going to need is our, our mutual friend, Scruffy Wallace, uh, playing bagpipes as the teams enter the ice, right? So I'll have to figure out a way to get that done, Murph. <laughs> <laughs> we will do that. We will do that. Listen, Joey Mack, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. I'm glad you had some downtime. And uh, now it's back to work. And uh, we will definitely follow your stuff over at The Athletic. And uh, Joe, always a pleasure, man. We are long overdue, by the way, for Pines. So let's get together soon, all right? Yeah, let's uh, remedy that, Murph. I appreciate it, buddy. Sounds good. That's Joey McDonald join us here from The Athletic. I am Jimmy Murphy. You've been listening to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. We'll talk to you next week.